What a week, ball boys and girls. Toronto's getting an oil change. Canada's women dominated and are going back to the World Cup. And we're halfway through the CPL campaign, and it doesn't even seem like we scratched the surface. So buckle up and get ready for your source of all things Canadian. I'm joined by Paul and Michael. This is Andre. Welcome to the FC 13 podcast. Guys, how are we doing on this lovely weekend? I'm doing fantastic. Should we should we put should we put a quick disclaimer in? We're recording this on a Saturday morning, so if we've missed some like incredibly horrible event that's happened over the weekend, we just want to apologize for that. We want <laughs> yeah. to apologize if some teams lost 10-0 and we've just acted like it didn't happen. We don't want another uh, Kyle Lyron situation here. Oh, as much fun as it is to do disclaimers in the middle of a show, it's really not all that fun. It is also a fun disclaimer just to say if we sound tired, it's because we are. So the time difference, guys, I don't know if you know, we're kind of split out across the country so we can truly cover Canada in all its glory. But that does mean that my morning is a very worse morning for Paul. Yeah. Two much, hours behind. It's much, much earlier. It also doesn't I gotta help. I've got to have a word with the person in charge of time difference. I've got to have a word with them about this. <laughs> It also doesn't help that we decided to talk about three games all on Friday night, and two of them are at like 10 o'clock Eastern time. So <laughs> Everyone was up late. Everyone was up early. It's all dedication for you, ladies and gentlemen. So starting us off, we're going to talk about the domination I mentioned earlier. Canada women have been in an absolute tear, especially considering that their little sketchy play that they had against South Korea Canada versus Trinidad, 6-0. Oh, my God. Absolute decimation of the Trinidad national team, which I do feel bad for. But Grosso gets her first goal and then gets her second goal in the same game. And almost all of these happen in the second half. How are we feeling about that one? It was a very weird 6-0 because, you know, most times 6-0s, you kind of get a sense that it's going to happen. Like, a team's fully on top. They get, like, one or two early goals. You're like, all right, this is going one way. But this was 1-0, like, way deep into the second half. It wasn't until, like, the last 15 minutes or so. Trinidad and Tobago just played like a team who, like, you know, if this was FIFA, they're standing up bars, like, away at the bottom. Like, they, they couldn't run anymore. They were completely gassed. I don't know the last time I've seen anything like that, to be honest. It became, like, a training exercise almost for Canada. Which, I mean, yeah, like you said, it was a little... I felt really bad for Trinidad in that sense. It was a, a little uncomfortable to watch as a competitive standpoint. But I wanted Canada to have a performance like this. We've been crying out for them to get some goals under their belt, for some players to get in some hot streaks. And a 6-0 win is going to do Canada the world of good to show that like they can be free-flowing and they can score a lot of goals still. They're not just a 1-0 machine. It's crazy to say there was problems for Canada in this game. It's crazy to look at a team who won 6-0 and you'd be like, there was something that wasn't right there. Five of those goals came in about 20-23 minutes to finish the game off. For the first 65 minutes, that was a one nothing game for Canada. And that was very concerning, I think, when you go on a team against Trinidad. This is a game that they're supposed to win 6 nothing, but they did it with troubles. Beautiful goal by Sinclair to open the scoring. But again, even in that even in that situation, I feel like that was more of a lack of defense rather than a great effort from Canada. Like I said against uh, South Korea, Canada looked uncomfortable around the box. They couldn't get things working for them. Couldn't get the shots through. I do want to give credit to Trinidad's last, like, 
last-second efforts, the goal could have been a lot higher. But Trinidad was playing in that extra foot to knock the ball away. They were getting that extra touch just to get something yeah. in the way of the body. But, yeah, no, I think there's something concerning when you look at a 6 nothing win and then five of those goals are in, like, the last half hour, 20 minutes or so. Well, the first half... I mean, as we sort of mentioned, the first half was really kind of balanced in a sense. Like, I, I was praising the Trinidad keeper. She was making good save on good save and, and really kind of kept it out. Because when you when you genuinely look, and, and I always bring this back a couple of times, we're going to do a fun little game here. Boys, how many shots do you think Canada had over Trinidad? In total? In total. 20 shots. I was going to say, like, 16, 18. 37. There you go. So, so it's so thirty-seven to one, and the score is only six is nil. So when I say it is a blowout, this could have been drastically worse if that keeper in that first half wasn't on her A game. And as I, Paul I mentioned, feel really I, sorry there was for something, her. something just collapsed. Like I don't, I don't know if it was fitness or if it was just mental fatigue, but something completely collapsed in that second half. It was kind of like watching that Germany-Brazil game from the World Cup where, like, after that second goal for Germany came in, the whole of Brazil just collapsed. They just forgot how to play football. And it, it, it kind of felt like that. Every time Trinidad kicked the ball off, you may as well have just had Canada kick the ball off because they would get the ball straight away and be running up the field. And, yeah, like, the, the Trinidad goalkeeper was really good, so I felt really, really bad for him that second goal came in because she should have done a lot better of that. Like, she should have got a stronger hand onto that. I'm not really going to blame her too much for anything else. What happened? You had that many shots on goal. You can't expect to save everything, right? I just, I just wish she could have done a little bit better for that goal there. Yeah, that was all defense. You you can't blame the keeper when you have something like that because 37 shots is a defense mechanism. You know they're the ones who permit them to do that, and mm-hmm. it's insane that it only ended because 13 of them were on target. So that means ha- under half of the amount that they shot were converted. So if that doesn't give you a sort of good impression of of the keeper's like ability, then I don't know what is. But you know what, everyone's going to get discouraged, even the keeper, at a certain point when, when once by the time twenty shots start coming in, eventually the keeper's just like, you know what, guys, fuck this, I'm I'm sick of getting balls shot at me. Right, it gets old. But speaking of balls shot at him, York and Forge had played, and not really surprising. I think an own goal there kind of really set the tone i'm still trying to work out what ball shot at him means in this, in this transition that was a very unfortunate own goal and especially because it was on his debut as two right what's his name there the, the australian guy tass and i'm tass. not gonna do the last one there's, we're just gonna call him tass there's, um, there's more, more seven or eight Martin syllables Dactus. in this last name and i'm i'm out Tass Mordidactus. I had it down last night. (laughs) Yeah, no, that was a very unfortunate goal in his first game. And especially if you're not watching the game, you're like, great. His first game and he scores on us. It it came off his leg. I mean, I think some people could debate that that wasn't even an own goal. It depends how you view it. I feel like soccer is very wishy-washy on how they award own goals at times. Mm -hmm. Because I think I've seen worse that words given as an actual goal. But yeah, that was unfortunate for him. Other than that, though, this really was Forge's game. Forge did control the, the most part of it. They were in it. York, though, York was York. They were that defensive team. They looked okay. They just cannot score. And can you please explain to me why DeRosio does not start this game? You're playing <laughs> Forge. You have no real finisher on the field. And this is why you lose 2 nothing because of a decision like that, I feel. I was going to say, he's 20 years old, and I feel like, I'm not saying he shouldn't start, but I feel like it's unfair that all the pressure to score should be on his shoulders. 
And it's not a slight on him. Everybody else has to step up around him. You see when the De Rosio came on, he um he set up I can't remember he set up his teammate with a really good chance towards the end. Uh, he's been involved Kalamalo? in almost yeah, he's been involved in almost all of the good things they've done this season. When they played Forge last, Kibara, he set up Kibara, sorry. Yeah, when, when they played Forge last, he had the assist for the goal, which is actually the last time they won a game. And since then I think they've only scored one goal. And obviously, I mean, De Rosio could have scored that time frame as well. He missed a missed a penalty against Valor, but you're right. This is this is just so York this season. And now that Absey's gone, they're not looking as good at the back. That second goal for Forge is a cross that comes in from the side of the goal where Absey would have been. I'm not saying the goal would have stopped, but with his pace and his experience and his know-how, I think there's a better chance that, that ball stays out the net there. But where where did York go from here, man? They're they're in hot water. You, you, it's so hard when you're in a league like that and you get good offers for players. You don't want to say no, but then you're just stuck in situations like this. I mean, there is no pro reg right now in terms of the CPL, but they, especially with the announcements coming out, I think that's something that these teams are really going to want to keep in the back of their mind because I don't think MLS will ever get it, but I'm thinking CPL will. So some of these teams might want to start thinking, okay, well, yeah, the money's great to send a player off but we should really consider that this could actually have some negative effects. I think there is a couple positives to look at from York. Number one, Michael Petrasso is back. He didn't play last night, but he was on the bench. He's missed pretty much the whole season, so that's a big boost for York. Another one was another... They had two players make their debut. Drop my pen. There was two players who made a debut last night, and the other one, the one who scored on himself, I believe he's a centre-back, and they also have a player called Kratz, who came over from Bundesliga 2, yeah, I thought he looked pretty good. I think he's one of these players. If he gets his feet going in this league, he will be a, a positive for York. I do think it's too late, though. And honestly, I do believe York might be on the projectile to finish below Edmonton. Edmonton, even though they're losing, they look good. And they're scoring right now, where York is not doing that. Even though they look fine in the back end, they're not scoring. And that's the biggest problem. Well, see, I was going to say that was their strength, but the two goals conceded this game, three goals conceded against Edmonton, three goals against Valor. they got to look at that at the back now. If they're not scoring, you have to be much stronger at the back. And since Absey's left, it's kind of teetering in the wrong direction. A point away from each other. So it could one one game is, is the decider. This week could easily decide who's going to be bottom and, and who's going to be above each other. You guys remember when I was so huge on York earlier this season? Can we just delete that podcast? Can we delete the podcast when we said York were going to like, be challenging? I mean, I will. at the end of the season, we'll do a whole review team by team, I feel. And I will defend York at the beginning of the season. And I will. I, you will see in that episode how I change and where it changes and everything. But I feel bad for York. I think they were supposed to be a lot better. Well, I think we'll do maybe some predictions. We'll see who's going to be top, who's going to be bottom later on in the podcast. So... I don't know. We'll find out and see at the end of the season because anything can happen. Anything can change, right? We're still, we still got a good number of games to play and anything can kind of come around and turn things around. And just like our next game, Vancouver versus Minnesota, unfortunately, for Vancouver's sake, Minnesota did in fact turn it around. It started off with a beautiful goal by Cavallini and then all went to immediate shit. Is this the worst ending to um, a sporting event in Vancouver since that Game 7? <laughs> it might be. It was, I mean, it was a, it was a big collapse. Well, at, least he took it, at least he took it better this time. At least um, he took it better. I don't know a lot about Minnesota. Um, I did do manager mode on FIFA with Minnesota United once. 
for like you know a couple games. So I, I think I know why the you team. in, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, I think I know the team pretty well. I, I'm pretty much registered to coach them, if you ask me. <laughs> when um, they started up in the MLS, that would have been higher qualifications than what they had for Christ's sakes. Uh, no, this was um, th- this was actually a fun game, and if people are listening to the podcast and you're more familiar with just the men's national team or the women's national team or the Canadian Premier League, I feel like this was a good game to example what the MLS is. Andre, you correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like I don't watch that much MLS. I do basically only watch Canadian teams here and there. If I can catch another game, I watch it, but I do feel the MLS has this reputation of being a high-paced, high-scoring game very back and forth. You don't really have teams controlling big parts of the game. Obviously, it happens, but I do feel like if you're a balanced team, it is a very back and forth match. And I think we got that in this game. It is. It's a very, MLS is very reliant on having a really good team versus having a couple great players. Like, that's what I've noticed. And I am by no means an MLS expert, but what I have noticed is that having you know having a, a good team like a all, all well-rounded good cohesive team just allows the level of play we saw from minnesota and having the right players in the right team so kamar lawrence left from toronto we had traded him from toronto and he by no means was he a bad player but he wasn't living up to the role and then you saw the level of play that he's doing in minnesota and that has a lot to do with who you you play them against I mean, Toronto was so dominant in their 2017 season, and that was because they just gelled together. They really worked well together. There were no real big, big superstars. I mean, Sebastian Javinko was there, but in the grand scheme of things, the only reason he was, like, a lot of his, his stuff was free kicks, but a lot of it came from his ability to play with his teammates, his ability to pass to his teammates, to connect, to really create opportunities. And that's where MLS strives. It is a very good game. If you have a cohesive team, if there's just one small like kink in the chain, you can't get by and start them alone. I think this game, I did not see that coming when I was watching it because back and forth, I kind of always thought Vancouver had the best chances and I thought they were always most likely team to score. So when Cavallini does come on and score, I'm not surprised. And then, but from that point, it's just it just became Minnesota's game entirely, which Vancouver had been kind of defensively solid recently. Like they had conceded in the last three games since that. Um, since they lost really heavily to Seattle, that's that, of course that's not including their Canadian Championship game. We're just talking about the MLS here, and they've typically been a team that have finished games strongly this season. They've been, they've had been scoring a lot of goals at the at the end. They've been picking up points within the last ten minutes, and effectively in this game, it's been the exact opposite. They've thrown that away. And you look at where these teams are on the table. This was two teams locked on the same amount of points just below that last playoff spot. Um, hoping for Vancouver's sake, this isn't one of those games I'll look back on and go, this was one of those games we should have won to um, get into the playoffs. Because they're in that contentious spot. The West is a bit of a crapshoot right now when it comes to getting into some of those playoff spots. That, uh, yeah. Those goals, though, I don't think you were saving none of them. Like that. Oh, no. I have to give anyone who watched that, even if you want to watch the highlights, don't go watch the full game. If you don't want to watch the full game, fine. But go back and watch the highlights because all four goals were great. But the three goals from Minnesota were just top shelf. They were, you were not saving them. Like two of them, I believe, were outside of the box. It was just lovely, lovely shots. So you were not saving them at all. So while Vancouver really did, it really kind of did feel like Vancouver was going to turn this around, especially when they brought on Tosin, like right after their goal to sort of say, like, look, we're going, we're going for this. We're going to go for more goals. And then it just kind of collapsed in their face. But you are right in terms of the absolute crapshoot, except with the exception of Austin and LAFC, everyone 
is like within a point. Yeah, you could blank and it'll look completely different next week. Yeah. Oh yeah, hundred percent. And Vancouver came into this game in pretty good form. Over their last five, they were three one and one. And this was their first loss at home since April 9th. They've been a really good home team this year. And that was an unfortunate blowout at the end, really. But I actually do want to take a second to talk about Cavallini. I don't know why Cavallini didn't start this game. Because this is his best season in the MLS so far in his career. He's now tied on his career high on goals in the MLS. He's beginning assists. He's been very active. And this is the Lucas Cavallini we needed to see. Over the last year or two, he's really struggled to find goals for club and for country. And it was getting to the point that we were people questioning, does Cavallini get on Herdman's team for Qatar? Because I would have been pissed if he brings Cavallini to Qatar, if he has the same season as he did last season. But I don't have to feel like that anymore because he's having an amazing year for Vancouver, which is nice to see him finally break out that shot into the MLS. As long as Vancouver have Cavallini and Ryan Gold, like those two especially, I think they'll, they will have a chance of getting into the playoffs. But that's betting on that kind of like level is not good because anything could happen. And Cavallini, while he's not injury prone, he's not he's not the kind that's completely impervious to injury. So I, I that's putting a lot of eggs in that basket, and that's that's where my worry lays. Is I, I don't want him getting injured, despite the fact that he's my competition in MLS. He's also my player on their national team, and that that World Cup is coming up, and I just want the depth. I, I even if he doesn't play a ton. You having that depth, knowing that if someone can come off, someone can step up to that that role and that plate. So we'll have to see. Moving on to my team, Toronto is doing a full engine oil change. It seems because they're getting rid of fucking everybody, and then just basically hiring the entire country of Italy. Like that's 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 what it seems. We did just we did just do a full trade for Mark Anthony K, which is quite exciting. There's a lot of buzz being generated, and that's so amazing for a Canadian player. Like to be moving back to here and, and really kind of getting that buzz going. We did transfer out Prezo, which was a very interesting prospect. So that was kind of an interesting choice. But right now, it seems Toronto's just, I mean, rebuild. Rebuild didn't necessarily mean have to tear the whole house down first. Uh, Toronto are turning so much into little Italy. You think Hayden Christensen's going to sign for them at this rate? <laughs> <laughs> I, I was hoping someone was going to get that joke. <laughs> we can get him to do his weird Italian accent as well. Yeah. I'm- I think, Andre, you're probably the best one to really talk about this. But can you break down what you think Toronto was seeing in their Pesuero signing? Like, why? This guy was, I think, a core member of your team. Can you explain to us on maybe what they were thinking? Do you think they specifically did this to work a deal with Mark Anthony K? Or are these two separate things? And Mark Anthony K was their answer to losing him? So, Pesuero was literally a, a get rid of to get a designated player spot. That's when you boil it down. That's that's all it was. It's just to get that designated player spot. I hate the move. I think it was absolutely insane. It was one of the top ten record signings that MLS has ever made when we bought him from Gank, and then we sold him to LAFC for or no no sorry Inter Miami. Whoo, almost made that mistake for one hundred and fifty thousand. Which Phil never made you listening. Oh my god! You know what? How do I how do I mess? I thought that from... was a low amount. I it, thought that was a low amount to sell him. A for. low amount. That's stupid that is stupid yeah. you paid like 11 million for him or something to that effect i'm, I'm it's the mornings the numbers are all off and then you got 150,000 from the richest team pretty much the richest team that, that has so many financial fair play violations and you you got 150,000 that's all you asked for the guy 
what the he was VIP the year after he he came here like why a hundred and fifty thousand like this just doesn't make any sense in any business sense football sense anything like that well yeah this year he hasn't been the superstar he's also not an in and out striker so the thing is, is the goals he's getting are just complimentary he was such a great team player but that whole move was simply to open up a DP spot. So I think the thing is that MLSE, now the owners of Toronto FC, do not care. Like they don't, they're not, right now, I don't even think they're in it for the money. It just looks like they're like, we want another trophy on our on our cabinet. And they don't give a shit because they're, they're bringing players in for 11 million and getting 150,000 for them. It doesn't at, sound at sustainable. Point. No. <laughs> like, um, okay, so another question then. In your opinion, Andre, is Mark Anthony K come up to your satisfaction, or like, how do you feel about him coming in? Uh, is he a replacement? I think, in terms of Mark Anthony K, everyone loves him. We all love him. He is a good player, so I will give them that. That is a good move. Um, for Prizo, I don't know. I don't know because Prizo was showing a lot of promise, and I think, you know, someone had pointed out that Toronto. He's going for the now, not the future. And I do understand that. I do understand going for the now, not the future. But my problem is the way the MLS works. <clears throat> Pardon me while I really dive deep in the MLS lore. So the problem with the MLS is that there's the draft system. And you can only protect your designated players, your DPs, and a certain number of players outside of that. And so the problem with having so many, like stars is you can be so easily picked apart when they do the inevitable expansion team every fucking year like they do and that's yeah. what happened in 2017 they they and totally pilfered the team and then weren't able to compete the next year and you can build a team like you said like that but it's all it takes is L lafc to sign a gareth bale and if gareth bale is still half the player he was in his peak then he elevates them to a probably a level above toronto just on his own yeah the weird Italian obsession made a little bit of sense knowing that Bob Bradley speaks Italian. And I think... He just wants to practice. Bill May... Yeah, yeah. This It's cheap. Apparently, it's it's cheaper than Duolingo. And so, <laughs> for for him, I think Bill Manning, the, the general manager of Toronto, is really kind of, like, late on that. And I think... They're, they're, and this is this is a, a conspiracy theory. I think they're capitalizing on the fact that Italy isn't playing in the World Cup this year, and this will be the prime time for MLS Cup. So I think that they're what they're trying to do is poach players who they know won't be playing, and their focus won't be elsewhere, right? So you bring a lot of these Italian stars in, or you know you bring these other stars in, and even the Canadian stars. And not to say anything about them, but. Mark Anthony K, Jonathan Azorio, Richie Laraya, D Jonathan David, Davies, all of these players come November, regardless of where they are in the league, the World Cup is going to be in their head more than their home league. There's no way, no way about it. You know, these players are going to be so focused on that that I think the idea of now versus later, especially since Crescido is only on a one-year contract, I think the newer player that we just signed, whose name <clears throat> is just about as complicated as... You know, insignes, insignies, insignies. Insignia, is it Bernadeschi? I don't want to say that in case he's not signed. And I've just, I'm just speculating. He's signed, yeah, his it's, name. it's pretty much that's done and dusted. Like that's the whole point of moving Pozuelo on. So he's coming in. It's it's that whole metric of trying to like take them on and do the now, and then next year we'll see what even happens. They could they could all be gone next year for all we know. That's that's a, my that those are my opinions. Anyone who is a, an MLS diehard or analyst can very much correctly. I won't give a shit, but you can very much correct me on any of that stuff. But let's Come go on, on to really, 
the bread and butter, the meat and the potatoes of this. The CPL, we are halfway through the season. We are halfway through, guys. We, we made, made it. it this far. <clears throat> we have to. This is our podcast. But we made it this far. And we're going to do kind of a little bit of a roundup, a prediction, see where we're going to be, see where we're at, see where things are going, and, and kind of get our own takes on things. So mid-season recap, where are we at, guys? So the season's kind of been... It was pretty even at the start. There was a real trend where like teams were only winning at home. There was very few away wins in the first couple of weeks of the season. I think that was just, you know, everyone's still warming up a bit. New players are getting embedded in. And the little differences that will make I mean you're going to win or lose a game such as playing at home are going to tie into it. Since then, we're seeing things open up a lot more. I think we're starting to see we have like four or possibly five teams in the running for those playoff spots. And then we have um, some more rooted teams. Valor, I want to see a little more consistency from then. Then I can think they could push for the playoff spot. But like at this point, it looks like we sort of have three. I don't want to say nailed on because anything can happen. But as it stands, it looks like we have three who might be nailed on being Cavalry, Pacific and Fort. No, no, Cavalry, Ottawa and Forge. <laughs> the reason, the reason I want to leave Pacific off that list right now is just because of how their form has been going so far in the wrong direction. And if that keeps up and if Halifax can keep winning like one every two or three games, then it looks like they're going to overtake them soon. Yeah, I agree. And the CPL has really shifted I, in a sense of where Pacific is, where Valor is. Forge still are still like, what, three, be, three games behind everyone? Yeah, that's weird. <laughs> They so are, yeah, maybe two now, two games. Yeah, but Ottawa and Calvary play tonight, so it'll be back to three. So I think for I think people might be writing off Forge in the sense like, will they get another trophy this year? I I don't think we can write them off when they still have those games at hand. They can climb up the table with those three games. Obviously, they've been in good form. They did lose two in a row before winning last night, but it's Forge. I mean, I. I'm, I'm not going to sit here and say Forge is a bad team because they're just simply not. Pacific is the one I think we all have to worry about, especially if you're a Pacific fan. They started off the season very strong. They have fallen. And I think they're, all the players they lost in the offseason, it's starting to hit them. That was uh, one of the, their issues I found was sort of a way because their last five games have been, like they started strong, but the last five games have been draw, loss, draw, dr- loss, loss. So... If they're able to turn it around, they're able to coast on their earlier success because they're still so close in the points tally. That's true, and that's why it's important to play every game, right? Because when you go through slumps, it's your previous performance that keeps you in the top. The problem, though, is I really do believe that the players that they lost in the offseason, being Campbell, Hachapapur, McNaughton, and Chung, they just weren't their players. These were key players, their best players. And the manager. Lost the manager as well. And the manager. Who, by the way, is absolutely killing it in the MLS Next Pro. He's he's actually uh, had an interview, I believe, in the for an MLS spot. So mm-hmm. he's absolutely killing it. Uh, I do think Pacific is the one we have to worry about. I mean, they should beat Edmonton tonight, but they can't fall for that. I think if there's any team that comes out of this playoff out of the top four, it is Pacific. So we had a little format for this where we had um so, oh, sorry sorry there Andre but it's my turn now <laughs> I'll, I'll run the show here we had a little um format for this where we had some categories to discuss and you can correct me if I'm wrong we had um biggest surprise biggest disappointment best goal and predictions going forward this season so what's been the biggest surprise so far this season for you guys I probably um, for, for myself and I'm I'm you know, like I know, I know these boys will have a bit more talking points. Is Calvary a hundred percent? I yeah. they weren't even on my radar at the start of the season, really? getting into the oh. season. I 
didn't even think anything of them and now i'm looking at them and they're if they can even keep up 70 percent of this form they're they're taking it the whole way i personally cannot agree with andre because i think calvary from the start of the season had a good chance at a finals so i don't agree with him there but i do my biggest surprise is actually a player and that is tristan borges judging by the season he had last year it was very questionable on where he stands now Obviously, he became a big name in Canada soccer when he was uh, sold to H uh, OH Leuven in Belgium. And then he came back on loan, and he just he looked off. And he didn't look like the Borges that were sold. And everyone's questioning him and worried about him. Is this guy the player we thought he was? I think he can pull that out the window now because he is yeah. back. And Borges is playing. I hope he's able to continue this, get back to Europe, and perform at this level. But if not, he's clearly been a, a player for the Canadian Premier League that can shine. Uh, that's true. For me, it's um, like this is the first year I've really watched CPL, so I didn't know what to expect in terms of quality. And for me, it has to be the goals. There is so that this is going to translate well to our next little bit. But there's been so many great goals. It's like every time you think <clears> you've <throat> seen goal of the month on a, on a monthly basis, maybe like a goal the week afterwards that usurps it. It's incredible, like, the goals that have been scored in this. It's not as if they're fluky goals, because it's happening all the time. There's a skill and a technique level here which is higher than I think a lot of people would think just looking at CPL from the outside. Picking a goal is was a bit of a struggle for me, and it's just there are a lot. There are a lot of, like, sketchy goals, and I, I find those just as beautiful. I love the ones that just kind of somehow accidentally bounce off someone's leg, or I, I've got a weird love for those ones. But when you want to talk about, like, the the quality, a lot of these guys put their boots through them. So when they do hit a beauty, it's it's almost a screamer. Which one, Michael, are you going with? What's your Michael, goal? Michael goes first. My Michael favorite goal? All right. I mean, I think it has to be uh, Wojcicki's bicycle kick. I don't think anything's going to beat that this year. And the fact that it came in the first game of the season makes it even better. See, I love that because it makes it sound like a lazy answer, but, like, you can't really disagree with that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess you could go with Brett Levi, uh, goal against Ottawa, or was was it Ottawa? It was Ottawa. You should yeah. know. Yeah, <laughs> I forget. I try to forget <laughs> things like this. I think I think you could argue Brett Levi's goal potentially, but I think Wojcicki does take the cake. For me, it's Sean Rea against York. He gets the ball just outside the eighteen-yard box, and there's about three York players really, really tight to him, and he has to work all that space by himself. He does like a little turn with the ball. He has to keep it by his feet, really close. And then just unleashes a rocket from the edge of the box into that goal. And that was the game that Valor had no had no right to win. York completely dominated them. Sean Rea has had quite a few moments of magic this season. And I think that was my favorite goal. I just love seeing that individual like turn, touch, control and shot. I'm actually with you on that one, Paul. That one is going to be mine. Cause I like bicycle kicks. Everyone does. But when it comes to the fancy style shots, the only ones I have an instant goal of the year kind of thing is scorpion kicks. I've just got a weird obsession with those ones because they, they're they're like 50% accident and 50% goal. Like, it's just someone's like, ah, oh, I ran too far, and then kicks their leg back up, and they're like, oh, yeah, I meant to do that. But when it comes to the side of, of that, I really agree with Paul. The darting notions, I really love that style of play. Like, I love I love ball control. It's something I've never been able to do when I play. So Same. watching people do that, yeah, basically it, it's I, I pretty much have lead shoes. It doesn't work. So in terms of that, watching it is it's just so exciting to see. I would say that Sean Ray has been my best player of the season so far for me, and I think 
um, Michael's going to like what I'm going to say here. It's been Ollie Bassett for me. I think Ollie Bassett's been so important for Ottawa. He's really good in that midfield. A lot of the play starts from him. A lot of the attacks, he's always involved. His delivery is incredible. It's up there in the best in the league. I think there's a lot of teams, if you take their best player out, like a Forge or a Cavalry, they'll still be where they are. But if you take Bassett out of Ottawa, I think they're a lot lower down the table. I'm not saying that as like a, as in an MVP conversation style. I just mean like Bassett is just such an important player. No, I agree with you. I think my player of the season so far is Bassett. And I'm not I'm not biased on that. I try not to be biased, I promise you. That's why I went first, so you wouldn't sound biased. <laughs> <laughs> if it wasn't for Manny Aparicio's injury, I think I would have went with him. But now that he, he's missed like five games and he's also suspended now, I, I just can't put him in there right now. The best um, ability is availability. Exactly. Yeah. Got it um, right this time. I think the thing that really works with Bassett is he works so well with Tabla. And those two really feed off each other. I would love to see their touches between each other compared to everyone else in the game. Because I think those two just work brilliantly together. But Bassett is on the end of usually the better end, I think. And also when you put in players like Bahus, who works really well with Tabla and Bassett. You have McKendry, who works really well with them. You usually have another guy in that midfield who feeds off all three of them. And it's why Ottawa is such a successful midfield and pushes up the ball. But it's really led by those two. I, I, I agree with that. My Mine, I go on a little on the different side. I When it comes to my players, like I always find it hard because I tend to pick more on the defense because I really appreciate how defense works and how we really keep. But this year, Peppel, he was almost my my kind of goal of the year or sort of like goal of the half season. Because for me, Peppel has been kind of the, the wonder story for Cavalry. Like he's got almost the highest goal tally with some of the lowest minutes played. Like he's had only seven appearances and he's had six goals. So when you look at the next player, Diaz, he's had 14 appearances and seven goals. So you, you see that level like he's he's producing every time he steps on that pitch. Like he's only had four, 419 minutes compared to 1,100 in the next player up. Like yeah, That's so significant that he's had less than half and he's had almost as many goals. It's just, it's a, it's a metric you can't ignore. And, I, and being only halfway through the season, seeing how Calvary are doing, I, mm-hmm. I can't see him not winning a golden boot in a sense. Yeah, and Calvary have really good options up front in terms of striking with uh, Mason yeah. and Devin. So the fact he's able to keep them out show and how young he is just shows how special this kid is we should appreciate it in the cpl where we can so change it up a little bit from all that hi there we're gonna go to biggest disappointment have we all got the same team for this <laughs> i actually went with a player oh, okay. oh that's mean i mean that's... i can do a team if you want i, I mean that's... i basically no, said no 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 you said you said player let's go for it let's oh. let's stick the button oh. uh, my disappointed player of the year by the way, my team would be York, uh, but um, my player is Marco Bustos. Bustos, I think, has had a decent season. Like, he's definitely he's not having a terrible one. But, yeah, I think he has one goal, four assists. But that also all came in, like, three games of the season, and he's done nothing since then. I think he's he's created a lot of chances. Like, he's getting, like, the touch before the assist that lead to a goal on a couple occasions. But I don't know. I just I, – I watch Pacific, and Bustos is just not standing out to me the way he did last season. And this guy was coming into the season supposed to be, like, the best player. Supposed to be winning player of the year. And he's just not putting that performance in. Well, you know, it's only halfway through the year. You never know. Well, this is the halfway season, so we have to know at this point, Andre. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, like, you're saying Pebble's getting a golden boot while he's on his way to fucking Luton? Uh, yeah. <sighs> you know what? It's, I... it's CPL. It's all about the craziness. And whatever I'm... goes, goes. 
I am going to take a low hanging fruit and say York have been my disappointment. I think part of it is my own expectations in York and start of the season. I seen a team who had talent up front with Ferrari, Wright, Johnston, De Rosio, and a team with a solid defence, and only one of those two elements has really delivered since I think I did a power rankings at some point not that long ago. We did talk about an episode where I had York like third or something in my power <laughs> rankings. And from that point I could not I could not have aged any worse. I forgot and about it's that. like this was a team I thought looked primed to do really well. And since then they've just forgotten how to score. Absey's left and it's looking really shaky at the back. I just maybe they are where they should be, but I just thought they'd be doing a lot better than this. So for me personally, it's York biggest disappointment. I think that was that was going to be the consensus. I'm taking things out of left field and I'm saying the scheduling manager for FC Edmonton. Ah, yes. <laughs> what a clusterfuck all year. I mean, FC Edmonton doesn't have enough problems on their own. So now you've made their schedule a literal nightmare. Any other team would be bitching but would be like, you know what, we can manage it. Then you've got an, an ownerless team with lo- players on loan in the m- middle of Alberta that have to just deal with this horrific scheduling. It's just such a nightmare. And for a team and a league where logistics are not as readily available as, say, MLS, that is such a horrible, horrible job. When you have a team like, you know, Toronto or LAFC or even you over to England where they're either close together or they have more money, it doesn't matter. Like you got the, you have the players, you can rotate them in and out. You've got the money, you can fly them everywhere in first class and you're fine and put them in training sessions and facilities. But when your CPL and the budget's kind of constrained, especially when you don't have an owner, it's like, come on, God damn it. Where were you like two months ago and I needed just... Hey, I was with you. I said the schedule was shit. We were bitching when they had to play those, like, two games back-to-back in the cup and against, I think it was, yeah, I think it was against Calgary, wasn't it? You weren't weren't on the episode, though, when me and Paul dove into it in more of a detailed situation. And uh, I definitely was arguing some points, but I I think it has got worse for them. And I I do agree with you to to an extent of, I think, what was that recent news that came out about their schedule? There was something that came out. Like no home games until like the middle of August or something? Something like that, I do argue. Like that is insane. I think they have six road games or five road games. That, I would agree with. That is insane. But if we go back to that other episode, if you guys want to check it out, that is episode two, I believe. (laughs) If you want to go back and check it out, I do say... Welcome to Canada. The scheduling is going to be the schedule. This is how we all have to deal with it. But the the away game thing is a little insane. So and just again, a quick one word. I know. A quick one. No, I get my one word. You have your one word. <laughs> we, we, I can when, see when it comes to our CPL teams, I know it's Canada and we're big. It's just when you have an ownerless team. When You know what? For someone else, once they get their owner, they get their money and they get their, their organization. But when these players don't know if they're even going to have a team at any moment, it's just, and then they have to be stripped away from their family. That's where that's where my worry is. I, w- I want them to not be like, am I going to come home and the stadium's going to be renovated into a condo? Like I was going to say, so quick one word answer, boys. Who's going to be top of the league in 14 games time when the regular season ends? Edmonton. <laughs> um, uh, C- Calvary. I am going to, be my biased boy right now because I can't say I cannot not say Ottawa when tonight if we win we go first in the table so I'm going with Ottawa and um, I'm sure that's not going to stick but I'm saying Ottawa Cavalry because that's that's a good run they're both 24 points as you pointed out Ottawa could go top and the way the form is going I think it's very doable but the way form Cavalry is I think 
anything is up in the air, right? Calvary does have a game in hand, so that's where they're really kind yes, of getting there. But Ottawa's never lost to Calvary, so take that into consideration. Whoa, now that you've said it. <laughs> Fuck, shit, damn, no, knock on wood. <laughs> Why would you do that? Have you not because been a football a fan long enough? You know, never say those things. I could genuinely be like, Arsenal have never lost to a 12th grade, you know, high school team. It's fine. And then they'll get blown at 6 nothing. So it just don't. We're, we're on a podcast. I think I, my point is I need to make points. I'm, <laughs> the I'm point is to make points. Exactly. It's not a podcast. It's a point cast. It's a point. Speaking of points, into the game. What I a did an segue. Andre. did an Andre. <laughs> It is time for the penalty quiz out. Everyone's least favorite game. Right, so the, the game works as as always done. One question is worth one point. Two questions, well, second question is worth two, three, three, four, four, so on and so forth. There is a total of five questions. I do have a lot of bonuses for you guys today, though. So get ready for that. Uh, we will be talking about Canada versus Panama. Uh, we're going to talk. We're going to do the questions, and then we'll go back into a depth of the game. But we're going to get the questions out of the way first. Number one, who got the first yellow card of the game for Panama? Bonus points if you can tell me what minute. Second question, how many shots did Canada have in the first half? Bonus points if you can tell me how many shots between both teams overall at the end of the game. Number three, Panama's goalie, Bailey, wasn't always a goalie. They said this on the broadcast. What position did she play before going in that? Number four, on the ads, there's a blue and white checkered ad. What was the ad for? What was the brand? It flashed around the arena like it wasn't always there. And number five, Christine Sinclair was subbed off in the second half. Who did she give the armband to? Everyone enjoy those questions. Love them, learn them, listen to them. We're going to take a break, and we'll be right back with the answers. Do you like football? Well, of course you do. That's why you're here. But I think we know something else you love. Discounts. So we partnered up with our friends over at Home Team Live to make that happen. They're going to be giving our listeners 25% off a yearly subscription to League One BC. So just head on over to HomeTeamLive.com and enter the promo code FC13PODCAST, all one word, at the checkout. And then bask yourself in some glorious League One action. All while knowing you stayed fiscally responsible. But enough promo action, let's get back to the show. And we are back. Hope you enjoyed your break, everyone, because I know I did. <laughs> Not really, I didn't move a fucking muscle. Uh, <laughs> so, we are going to flip a coin to see who goes first. Who would like to go first on the heads or tails? Andre, I'll be a gentleman. You can go first. Oh, so gracious. Well, then, in that case, I'm going to pick heads. And I will take tails. It was heads. Oh, yeah. Would you like to go first or second, Andre? I'm going to make Paul go first. All right, Paul. Can you tell me who, for Panama, got the first yellow of the game? And then what minute for a bonus point? I'm not ashamed to admit I forgot the names of the Panama players, so I went for 12 minute and went with what I assume is going to be someone from Panama's name, Gomez. <laughs> what? <laughs> Andre? Oh, uh, well, when it comes to the yellow cards, 
I actually write those down. It's one of the few stats I do write down. So it was Castillo, and it was in the 31st minute. Oh, God damn it. Two points for Andre. <laughs> I was about to say to Paul, what the fuck do you write down? It doesn't even matter what you write down. You write everything down um, you wanted. It doesn't matter. It's all going to be wrong. This is the one time I didn't do yellow cards. <laughs> Alright, Andre, so it's up to you now. How many shots did Canada have in the first half? And a bonus point if you could tell me overall between both teams at the end of the game. Okay, so everyone knows I'm pretty much a stickler on shots. I always bring up stats and everything during each game. So I know there were 18 shots in total. But for the first half, I'm winging it here. Um, I'm going to go, I guess, six for the first all right, Paul. I'm going to go seven and eighteen. And Paul gets the three points. Oh. Andre, I'm not going to give you the bonus point. What? Because you did not get the amount of shots. And a bonus oh, you... usually means you get the first one right. And here's a bonus. So Andre, you did get the eighteen, mm. but you got six instead of seven. So it is a three-two game for Paul. And you we bring sick. it back to Paul. Panama's goalie, Bailey, wasn't always a goalkeeper. She did play another position. What position was that? Um, was it striker? Andre? Well, I am going to go mid-left. Um, I didn't need that much specifics, but she was a midfielder. <laughs> Victory. <laughs> I'm just winging it. <laughs> yeah, you don't know how far you got to take it. <laughs> Hey, that was, that was safe. So back to Andre. Mm. There was an ad that came up on the boards. It wasn't always there, though. It was blue and white checkered. What company belongs to that ad? See, I, I can see it in my head. And I'm, I'm in Mexico City so often that, like, it, this is going to kill me. But, like, I'm, again, I just have to just guess. I'm going to go maybe tell Cell. Maybe. Okay. I don't know either. I don't want to risk falling further behind. So tell Cell as well. Sorry, lads. I picked this question because I love the name. It was Bimbo. B-I-M-B-O. Oh. <laughs> oh, my God. I love that company, too. And this game makes us look like himbos. <laughs> so, right now, it is 5-3 for Andre. Christine Sinclair was subbed off in the second half. She gave her armband to someone. Who was it? Janine Becky. Okay, Andre. I know I should take the risk and go outside of the box don't you but, dare but I, I'm, I'm gonna I'm don't gonna even have think to do about it. it. <laughs> it's Janine Becky is uh is gonna be my answer I am so sorry Paul but this is just how it's gotta be I am not willing to risk losing it ladies and gentlemen there's a serious loss if you lose this game and we cannot have that here in this household yeah I am no I am no threat to you you could do this to get me closer to Michael <laughs> Paul don't worry it is not over. I have a surprise bonus question. <laughs> oh, what the hell? This is going to be worth two points. So, is it Janine Becky? No, it... hold up. This, yeah, who the is it? The bonus is worth two points, okay? Well, who, so, who was it? Give me a second. Like... You guys think Sinclair gave the armband to Becky, right? The person mm. she gave it to was also subbed off in the game and gave the armband to another player. <laughs> Who was oh, the third player oh to wear the armband for two points? 
God damn it. I want Andre to go first for this one then. I'll give Andre first since you went first on the other. Uh, you know what? That other one was a real calculated guess, so I'm, I'm going to really dig deep and go with Janine Becky. It's it's fine, but you don't need to know who she was subbed on for. You just need to know who the second player gave the arm bound to. Oh. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> uh, that changes absolutely nothing. And I think I'm probably just going to stick with Janine Becky. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. And Paul? Julie Flaming. All right. So we do have a winner. And before I give you the... Actually, you know, I'll give you the answer and you'll know who the winner is. Christine Sinclair was subbed off and gave her armband to Scott. Oh, baby. Scott was subbed off and gave it to Buchanan. Ah. So no one gets points on the final. Oh. Andre wins. And the three. victor. And he stays. All that. All that for that. Well, I thought somebody would get it. <laughs> Optimistic. I was prepared to give you guys so many points for getting one of those after you got... After you didn't even get Becky, uh, after you didn't get Scott, sorry. I was going to give you guys at least a handful of points if you got one of the two, but oh well, Andre wins. That's a 5 3 -er. Honestly, th this is probably the most football related questions we've had in this well, game. Well, I got bitched out for last time, so. <laughs> well, overall, I mean, it's fair, though. Overall, congrats. I hate playing Andre because it's always close. It's always a lot closer than it appears, but I keep getting pipped. Yeah. <laughs> and it's bad. It's sad because you, um, you know I'm going into this and I'm, I'm guessing easily 90% of this because everything I write down, anytime you ever write anything down, it doesn't matter. Whatever you've written down is completely irrelevant and it's just all made up, like realistically. But as long as I'm this far ahead, that's that's kind of what matters. By the right way, now. big win for me. Thank you, Andre. That keeps oh. me a good point ahead of uh, Paul. And I can answer questions next week to hopefully extend that lead. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. But moving on, unfortunately, as much as we love to hate the game, really got to move on to the actual game of the week, which is this game here, the Panama versus Canada. But if you do want to play along at home, which I'm not entirely sure exactly why you would want to, make sure to check out our next game of the week, which is Toronto versus Montreal, the 401 Derby. It's going to be on July 16th. And it's going to be in Montreal. It's always an exciting time. The Canadian Derby is easily one of the biggest and most intense derbies in Canadian football. Make sure you go and check that out because that's the only way you can play along in the game. And that's the only way you can see what drives us absolutely insane. But getting back on track, this is our game of the week. Canada, Panama Women's. And what a game that was, honestly. Like, that couldn't have asked for, for a better game or a better display. It was, um... It was a funny one to watch because obviously this is kind of like the Canada we've been fearing, like 1-0, struggling to break down teams. But at the same time, it is difficult to complain when they are so dominant against these teams. And the manner in how they scored as well, like Julia Grosso, she gets that ball in the box. She takes a couple of turns, maybe fakes out a shot at one point, it looks like, and then scores. That was a really beautiful goal. And this is what I thought Canada needed going into this campaign. All they needed was one of their attackers to go on a hot streak. And with their defensive solid solidness at the back, it can take them really. It's going to take them really far. That's Grosso now got three goals. You know, she scored the um, winning penalty in the Olympics as well. She's showing herself to be a big time player on the big stage for Canada. And you know, hopefully, this isn't the last goal she's going to score this um, this campaign campaign as well, eh? Yeah, no, of course. And something uh, Paul did leave out here is with this one at the win over Panama, 
Canada do lock their spots to the World Cup next year. And uh, I believe Australia and New Zealand are sharing the World Cup for the women's. So yeah. Canada, Canada get there. Congratulations. Do they also qualify for the Gold Cup, or is that further in the tournament they qualify for that? I think, I think that's that further along. Yeah, I think that one's right. further. I think this one was just a points tally that they couldn't be reached to get them into the World Cup. And then the Gold Yeah, actually, I think they, they said that on the, the commentators, too, that it's why you have to keep your foot on the gas because that is still just as important. Like those other spots coming up, right? Yeah, well, Paul's right. Uh, Canada did look good most of the game. I still have that worry about the the offense around the box. Again, we talked about this against Trinidad. There's just something that's not clicking for me. And I will give Panama credit because their defense line was solid. It was hard to break that line down. Unlike Trinidad, where a lot of their uh, saves were from the goalie or last-second efforts from the defenseman, Panama's line was just hard to break, and that was the difference between the two in the game. Because offensively, both teams between Trinidad and Panama didn't offer much for Canada's defense. Costa Rica might be a little bit more of a challenge for Canada in that sense. But again, a one nothing win, it's a win. They get the job done, and I don't know, maybe I'm just being too critical, and I expect more because they did win the Olympics, and they are ranked very high on uh, FIFA World Cup, uh, not World Cup, but FIFA style FIFA rankings. 19. Yeah, uh, because they are ranked so high on FIFA rankings. Maybe I'm just expecting more, and I'm being unfair. But I don't know. I need to see more of them finishing these chances. I think we'll really see it once they come up against, you know, like United States or Mexico as the the stages go on, because that's where the tests, I think, we're really going to present them. But Grosso's been, like, they've been stepping up. Like, that's the Mm -hmm. difference, is I find that some players are really stepping up with Sinclair on her way out, and I'm not downplaying Becky or, you know, Heidema. It's just seeing, like, Grosso in two games have three goals, and her first goal was from the last game. So it's it's that step-up nature that I think Canada really needed, and I think that's something that's really going to help us out if people are, you know, like, going to take the chances. But we'll, we'll see their tests when they come up against someone bigger than, say, Trinidad or Panama. Yeah, Costa Rica you... will be a test for them because they've um they've got the same goal difference as Canada right now. They've been just yeah. as efficient against these other two teams. And weirdly enough, this is a bit of a strange request. I kind of want to see Canada go a goal down against Costa Rica because I, I want to see how this team reacts when they go a goal down because they are designed so much to be solid at the back and score and win low-scoring games. I want to see them put into a, ch- a challenge like that because yeah. they're guaranteed a semi-final place. So it's not as if they're going to be eliminated. I want to see them go a goal down and then have to deal with a bit of jeopardy. That way, when they come up against the States, if the States score first, it's not panicking. The game plan goes out the window. Like they know yeah. how to, they know how to get back in the game. That is a good point. And my biggest worry, though, I mean, you can look at the Trinidad game and be like, oh, it's the first game of the tournament. They're a little uh, trying to get into their form. They're a little off. But if that's a, if that's a bigger team, like if, I think if Canada plays Costa Rica in the first match, they lose that potentially a draw, and maybe again against Panama. Again, like I'm not taking away from their efforts of their wins, and it's just the overall performance. Then it's almost like they're not playing the full 90 if you compare it to the Trinidad game. And when you look at the Panama game, I think it was a very, it was a, a lot better looking on Canada's end. And with a very solid Panama defense. And again, Bailey did have a good game for Panama. But yeah, I'm just, I'm a broken record at this point. I need to see more around that area. 
movie we all want to see more it's just there's it's nice to see that they've decided to play them in improper stadiums so pitch is an excuse you know they're not playing them in really poor conditions not playing them on turf it's now coming down to just skill but when i was watching the panama game they were capitalizing a lot i just think that panama just had such a solid defense that we didn't see more blowouts because they were pressing they were on them they were getting the ball back they were were trying to maneuver and take shots in i just think that unlike Trinidad, Panama didn't break down because they were they were still pressing as hard. I just didn't think they had that same issue. I think it's one of these ones you watch at the time you have the anxiety of it being one 0 But if you watch that game back, you're just like, oh, there, there was absolutely no danger at all in this. This was this was always going to be a win. It's just like at the time that uncertainty. That's why you just you want that second goal so much so it gives you that insurance. Yeah, yeah. but with Panama being ranked 57th in the world, do you not expect more from Canada or? Do, do you think the ranking is a lot closer than what it suggests? I think FIFA rankings, yeah, they can be very deceptive at times. I mean, like, what were Canada, like, in the men's, for example, before they went on that run in 2021? They would have been, like, God knows how many spots behind Mexico, and you've seen it took four yeah. points off Mexico. Same with the States. All it takes is... Okay, I hate to go on Wales again, but um, <laughs> yeah, here we go. Here we go. So Wales it's, for the, it's, it's the Wales hating segment. Wales for the longest time were languishing like close to 100 in the world rankings in the top 10. But then they started to get all these young players at the same time. But while they were still like just picking up wins, they were still like 70th or like 60th. It takes time to build up those FIFA rankings to get to the point they are now. You, you can't just win three games and jump up really high. You have to like basically be like on good form for like a whole year almost to do those jumps. So it's... The rankings are almost, they don't really say where a team is at the present. It's where they have been, if you know what I mean. Like how the rankings would look in a month's time may be better at showing what Trinidad are at this point. I, I do I do get what you're saying there. But in, in all reality, Panama women's team probably don't have that high of a ceiling where somewhere where the Canada men did have that ceiling, you know what I mean? So I think, sure, Panama women might move up in the top 50, but I don't think they're getting much further than that. The rankings, they're so, and just as we sort of alluded, they're so finicky. Uh, you know, friendlies count, don't count, performance counts, and the women's, so the men's side, I find there's a lot of movement. You know, you can have a good run of years like Canada did in a move up, but the women seems to be this top seven are just, you might as well just put a little thick black line there and then just shuffle the top seven up and down. Yeah, that's a good point as well. Yeah, it's like rugby. There's like a, there's a t- different tiers. Yeah, it's just it's just the quality, and and this has a lot to do with just the underdevelopment and money not coming into these the women's side of things, and that's that's all on their association's fault for not putting it in there and putting that money in there. Because I can guarantee you, if they did, we'd have a very very similar parity to the men's. To be fair, some of these countries can't support their men's team, never mind the women's. But, yeah, from a CONCACAF standpoint, you were... Well, uh, recently, yeah, honestly, (laughs) until Canada really started to shine, like, there wasn't much money put into the men's. It was all for the women's. Yeah. I mean, it's why the women's soccer system here is so big. We probably have the biggest women's fan base in the world. I think there's other countries that could, like, America could obviously, like, challenge that, but Canada's definitely up there. And it's why, after the World Cup, if Canada's men are playing a friendly in um, against, let's say, Cuba, that's not selling out, but Canada women will. Yeah, and kudos, though, small quick shout-out um, for this sort of semi-attendance roundup. Mad congrats to the women's Euros in England for yep. absolutely just blasting an attendance it. record out of the sky. 
Yeah, don't, tell, well. don't tell me that no one cares about women's football, honestly. Yeah, it, it is growing. Like I, I think, I think what something you see online is a lot of assholes uh, discredit the game because you know we're men, men are better. La la la. Uh, <laughs> exactly. It's the you same know, sport. They, you don't like football, you don't. They still wipe their own ass and eat the same hand with the sandwich. You know. <laughs> they, my point is, on the internet, you're gonna get all these assholes speaking like it means nothing, and it's just not the case. And attendances like that prove it, right? It's it was it was absolutely beautiful to see. We're not talking that. We may as well just end the podcast right now. Don't yeah, take it back. Just... <laughs> and that was it. No, so it was it was gorgeous. I'm I'm all for it. I think we're gonna we're gonna see some serious improvements. And if you want to know more about those things, if you want to know more about in-depth on stadiums, future expansion plans, even hypotheticals or opinion pieces, don't ever hesitate to head on over to our parent company, 13th Man Sports, where both Paul and Michael are doing weekly articles on various topics, leagues, industries, and everything to do with football in Canada and even abroad. So make sure to go and check out their articles. It's fantastic. It's definitely worth a listen. But guys, I think that is going to have to be all for us. It's been fun. We've had some fun. We didn't have some fun. Well, I had fun in the game, but well, some people up. didn't have some fun. So I think I think that's going to have to sort of end it for us. Make sure if you can, go check us out on Twitter at FC13Podcast. Make sure that's the number 13. And check out our parent company, 13th Man Sports, as well on Twitter. Give them some love and check out some of the articles from our boys. But Paul, Michael. That's been, yep, that's been us. <laughs> Bye. You can find Paul at PaulMcNulty96 on Instagram. Michael? You can, you can find me if you come off the highway on, on the 420. <laughs> um, you can find me on the Call Me Michael on all platforms, really. And I'm at the Andre McRae. Thanks so much, guys, for listening. We really appreciate you tuning in, and we cannot wait for you next week.